I don't know if you know, this is the second year that they've been doing it for on every Saturday night in February. There's a, a, a snowshoe lantern walk. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right up at Taquamanon Falls. Did you guys make it up there last night? You did. Okay. Um, it, it, it was a lot warmer this year than last year. Um, we, Beth and I went up there last night, and the sky was clear, and it was incredibly gorgeous. Um, and we started, we started singing. We, you come, you, you're in the woods, and you can see the stars through the trees and that, but you come around towards the end of the walk, and there's a wide open field, and then you just see the sky. And it was just absolutely amazing, and we started singing. Now I'm not thinking of it. How great is our God? How great is our God? Just made me think of the Lou Giglio video that we've seen and, and, and just how, how vast he is and, and then how we know that there's another one of his videos that talk about um, the, the symphony of praise. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not going to ask her to come up and preach this morning, but I may ask her a few times to... <laughs> wake up my memory um the symphony of praise where the stars sing and and then i don't know if you remember but the the whales come in with with their the the, the sounds that they make and in even as bad as as i sing sometimes on a sunday morning that that that's part of the symphony of praise to god and and when it reaches his ears it's it's beautiful to him thank goodness <laughs> but it's, it's just all been and, and just to to be out there last night and um it wasn't windy and it was really calm and I think it was actually above freezing when we when we got there but uh, just absolutely if any of you have the opportunity a lot of people were walking without snowshoes on they just walked the the trail and it was an absolutely beautiful night to to see that but just uh, the the beauty of what God has created just amazing amazing out there because there's you know you're away from the prison lights or any other lights that might be uh, shooting up into the sky and just kind of taken away from the, the radiance and the beauty of the stars. But if you have a chance to do that, I think it's like, what was it, 6 to 8.30? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mile long hike. I think it's a little longer than a mile. My, sunrise was beautiful this morning? Okay. Nice. We know what that means, right? Well, bad weather coming, though. <laughs> right, at, right, right at night, sailors delight. Right in the morning, sailors take warning. That's, that's, that's in the scripture, folks. That's, that is in the scripture. I didn't just make that up. Open God's words to the book of Acts. Father, as we open your word this morning, I trust that you have received our, our songs of praise to you this morning as part of that symphony of praise. And now as we open your word and look into it, Father, challenge us, help us to, to grow closer to you, to walk with you, to have more of a desire each and every day to spend time with you and in your word. 
May your word be spoken in truth this morning, Father, we pray and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at the first five verses of chapter 15 of Acts. Um, We began with a a discussion before we even got into the scriptures on the the 2,000-year history that up to this point the Jews had had with circumcision and what that meant to them as a nation. And then we also spend a little time looking in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 60, and Zechariah 8, talking about how the prophets foretold that the gospel would go to the Gentile nations, that it wasn't always just going to be to the Jews. And so that, that was kind of the background that we started last week with. And, and we opened chapter 15. Uh, if we remember, 13 and 14 were the... Um, the, the, the narrative of the first missionary trip at the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have arrived back in Antioch and they've, they've made their report to the church there. And of course, what's Satan going to do when something good's going on? He's going to see what he can do to mess it up. So at the beginning of 15, some men came down from Judea, began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They thought before they could become Christians, they had to become Jews first, and then that was the only way they could receive Christ. So they were trying to say, hey, you've got to be circumcised or you can't be a Christian. And, and that was absolutely not what Christ taught and not what the disciples and the apostles were teaching. So Paul and Barnabas, there was dissension and debate in the church, and it was decided that they would go down to Jerusalem. So uh, verse 4, they arrived at Jerusalem. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Um, But then, I'm sorry, verse 5, certain of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, they believed in Jesus, but they stood up and they were still stuck and tied back into their, to, into their old ways, into the law. It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And that's a problem because that's not what Christ taught. It's not what the apostles were teaching. Now, let me just take a half a step back. Um, one, one thing in part of the Great Commission is, is that we grow disciples. And in a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference of being just a convert and being a disciple. That, that a convert is one who has accepted Christ, but a disciple is one that wants to grow, wants to grow from, from the milk of the word to the meat of the word, and, and wants to develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't content with just saying, okay, I've got fire insurance. But they, they want to become a disciple. They want to teach and learn about Jesus and then be able to share with others. And that's one of the, the, the calls of the, the Great Commission, one of the responsibilities of the church, is that we grow disciples. That, that you, you can't be, right, we say green is growing, ripe is rotting. You, you, you can't be content with where you're sitting. Because if you're content and say, I don't need to grow anymore, then you're rotting. And, and you're going to start stinking, okay? You're going to stink up the church. We, God didn't intend, us for, intend for us just to be content in whatever state we are, yes, but not content with where we're at in our spiritual walk and growth and, and just to stagnate and to not grow more. And, and one of the, the ways that we can make disciples in the church and, 
is, is to teach you how to study your Bible. If you, you have an understanding and, and can learn how to get into the Word, then it may not seem so difficult and so foreign. And so one of the things that, that I, like, I, I learned in high school was I, in high school, I went to a, a, a Christian school. So in high school, we had four years of grammar. I, I don't know if any public school teaches four years of grammar at any level, but to make you take four years of grammar in high school, each and every year. When I started my, I had been in, a, in public schools in Michigan up to eighth grade, and I didn't know the difference between a noun and an adjective. Didn't have a clue. So when I got to the school in, in Wisconsin, it was, it was a rude awakening. And it was about halfway through my sophomore year before the light went on and it started to click. And prepositional phrases and gerunds and infinitives made sense. I knew, I knew what the object of the preposition, I knew what a direct object and an indirect object was. Don't ask me all of, give you definitions of all that today, because that was a long time ago. But it clicked and it made sense and, and, it, and it helped me to understand what I was reading. It just opened so much more. Well, I want to point out a few things uh, in our passage today in Acts chapter 15. Uh, we're going to focus on verses 6 to 18. Um, I'm going to point them out and then we'll go back and preach our way through the passage. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things we, we try to teach in Bible study methods, and I've told this to you guys many times before, is, is observations. Make observations. And when we were in Bible college, we had a Bible study methods class for a whole semester. And, and you know, we, when you had to have 500 observations on the passage this size, you counted how many letters there were, how many times the word the was used, how many times the word and was used, how many times the word when was and And to come up with those observations and, and the idea was they didn't the professor didn't care how many times the word and was there all he cared was that you took the time to count it because then you were in the word you were you were soaking in it whether you wanted to or not you were being saturated in it and learning everything about it so and, and one of those things is is repetition when, when something is is a, a style or a word is is repeated take note there, there's probably something to it, probably something in, in that passage for you to learn from that. So we're going to look here. Um, there, there is, um, well, we, we pointed it out. I'm going to, if you flip back to chapter, let me find it real quick here. Now, of course, I'm not going to find it now. Okay, we, we've pointed this out several times in Acts chapter 13, verses 17 to 23. We looked at the active verbs of what God did for the people of Israel, okay? The, and God chose, God made, he led them, he put up with them, he destroyed nations, he distributed their lands, he gave them judges, he gave, and, and he removed, he raised up, he found, and, and he had brought to Israel. The, the, these were things that God actively was participating in the life of the Jew, Jewish nation, and, and that, that there was a purpose for it. Well, here we're going to look in this one, in, in this passage today, some of the things that God uh, did uh, for the people. Uh, verse 7, God made a choice among you, and I, and I don't want to get too, too much into this because then I'm preaching my sermon. I want to come back and preach through. Um, but God made the choice. Uh, verse 8, God bore witness 
verse 9, God made no distinction. And, and then it, that, that's Peter's speech from verses 6 to 11. We have Peter speaking. Verse 12 is Paul and Barnabas. And then 13 to 18 is, is James, who's the brother of Jesus. But this, this Peter started it. James picks it up in verse 14. Uh, and, and James is saying, Peter Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles. Okay, he's, he is active here. And then all through verses 16 to 18, he's quoting Amos 9. And, and he's talking about what the Lord says that he will do. The Lord said, 16, I will return, I will rebuild, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it. Verse 17, um, in order, okay, not there, but verse 18, the Lord who makes these things known of old. So again, God is being very active in, in what we're seeing here. God wants to be active in your life. He wants you to see him affecting your life. He wants to be part of it. He wants to be leading it. He wants to be the director, the symphony director, okay, of your life. Okay? Now, the other thing I, I'd like to point out here is, um, and, and i got to figure the, the, the right way to say this, it, it's, it's a comparison here. We, we know that, that there's, in, in verse five that the pharisees are saying hey if you're a gentile and you want to come to jesus you got to be circumcised so there in in that is there's a comparison between what the requirement is for the jews and what the requirement is for the gentiles and at the verse end of verse eight um eight nine and eleven where we we see the, a comparison going back and forth at the end of verse nine it says um that the Holy Spirit bore witness just as he did to us. He bore witness to the Gentiles in the same way that he bore witness to us. So, so Peter is, is describing to the people that uh, what, what God is doing uh, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Verse 9, he said, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith, in other words, as he cleanses the Jews' heart by faith, he also cleanses the Gentiles' heart by faith. Verse 11, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. So we, we see just a, a, a comparison and what, what's required for a Jew to become a Christian and what's required for a Gentile to become a Christian. All right. Now, that was just the introduction. Now we'll get into the word. We have, um, okay, a little more introduction. <laughs> we, we have four meetings going on here, okay? Um, the first meeting is in, in verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were, it was a welcoming for, for the brothers that were coming from Antioch down to Jerusalem, okay? Just, just a, a meet and greet, and they were welcomed, and it was a time that uh, Paul and Barnabas had a chance to, at the end of verse 4 to report all that God had done with them, basically re reiterating the, the chapters 13 and 14, the missions trip uh, that they took to Cyprus and then up to Antioch and Iconium and then over to Lystra and, and Derby and, and back. Um, 
So that, that's the first meeting here. Now turn with me, if you will, to Galatians 2, because you're not going to find the next meeting in, in Acts 15 there. That's one thing I like about Acts. We, in the Old Testament, we have the books of history, like Joshua, just up to before Job, um, uh, is the history of the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, we have one book, Acts, is the history book of the New Testament. And so when, when you go to the different epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, you get, you get a lot of the backdrop of it. You get a lot of the, the background history of it in the book of Acts. But there's also details in the epistles that are written that, that aren't in Acts. So if you look at Galatians 2.2, 2, uh, 2 and 3 here are quite a bit of Paul's uh, talking about the council of Jerusalem, which is Acts 15. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And it was because of a revelation that I went up, I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So Paul, when Paul first got to, to Jerusalem from Antioch, he, he met privately with some of the church leaders and said, Am I missing the boat here? And you got to appreciate the guy's humility because, you know, he wanted to make sure that he was standing on solid ground in, in what he was teaching and preaching to the Gentiles. So they had, in Galatians 2, 2, he had a private meeting with the church leaders to say, just to be reaffirmed, is, yeah, you're teaching the right thing. You're, you're teaching the word that, that, as Christ would have us to teach it. So then, and that, that meeting happened somewhere between verses 4 and 5. Because in verse 5, we have the third meeting. Certain ones of the sect, as we read, the Pharisees stood up and said it's necessary to circumcise and to direct to them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. They said, this isn't, this isn't right. What, 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 is the, you know, what is the basis of this? Where are they getting this? What is the history? They want it, before you can fix the problem, you've got to understand the problem. And so they, they, they want to make sure that, again, just as, as Paul had that private meeting with the church leaders, they, they want to make sure that they're doing it well and that they do it right. Verses 6 in our passage today, verses 6 through 18, is the fourth meeting. And this is where Peter speaks, then Paul and Barnabas speak, and then James speak uh, to, to the issues that, that are at hand. <clears throat> Verse 7, and after there had been much debate... Peter stood up. He waited. He, he, he didn't have to interject. Uh, you know, we, we talk about being a good listener. And, and husbands, listen. If, if, you're, if your wife ever accuses you of being a bad listener, listen to this, okay? Um, not, not that I've got it perfectly down. But um, pay attention, okay? Don't, don't when, 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 somebody, when your wife is talking to you or when somebody is talking to you, don't be thinking of what your next words are going to be. I, I find my, I have to stop myself. I do that quite often. Is how, what's, what's my answer going to be? Or what's my, I want to tell my story here. I want to get my two bits worth in. Let's, let's, let's follow Peter's example here, which is funny because Peter's usually the loud, boisterous one that just runs over the top of everybody. But Peter waited. And, and it says in Proverbs 18, 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. 
So Peter bit his tongue, held back, and waited until it was his turn to speak. And after there had been much debate, he stood up and he said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you and that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. We won't turn there, but Acts 10. Remember when he saw the vision of the sheet and all the unclean animals on it? And then he went, some men came from Cornelius, and he, he, he went back with them because that's what the Lord told him to do. But he went to Cornelius, and this, this was the first uh, time of uh, testifying to the, to the Gentiles and taking the gospel to them. I don't know if you remember, but that was the instance when while Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his household, they obviously believed and accepted the Lord because while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon them. I mean, that was back when we were in there. We talked about it wasn't, there didn't have to be laying on of hands. It wasn't a special event or whatever that had to happen. When they believed, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But Peter is, that's what Peter's referring to here, is that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel. If you remember back to Matthew 16, when, when Christ was teaching the disciples and he says, who, who does the world say that I am? Oh, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Moses. And, and, and then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And that's when Jesus said, okay, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And we talked about those three keys. The keys were basically the, he, he was the one to introduce the gospel to, to the different groups of people. In Acts chapter 2, God used Peter to introduce the gospel to the Jews. Acts 8, to the Samaritans. And Acts chapter 10, to the Gentiles. That was the Cornelius story there. Because he had acknowledged, and Jesus told him, you didn't get this from men, you got this from heaven, you got this from God himself. That's how you know that I am the son of God, that I am the son of the living God. And so here Peter is, is informing the group and reminding them of basically his history and who he is. And, and this, this time, by, by this time of the church council in Jerusalem, or yeah, in Jerusalem here in chapter 15, yeah, it, it could be upwards of 10 years has gone past since he preached to Cornelius' family and, and they accepted Christ. So it's, it's, he's, he's refreshing their memories and saying, this is who I am and this is how God has used me. This was God's choice. This was not me doing this. This was God's choice and God's working out and getting the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 8, And God who knows the heart... Wow, that, that's a sermon in itself right there. <laughs> God who knows the heart. Do, 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 do you ever stumble and, and fall even though you're trying your hardest and you have the best of intentions? Take, take comfort in the fact, take confidence in the fact that even though we might totally screw something up, God knows our hearts. And if we're doing it with the right motivation, the right reason, even though we may think it doesn't look pretty, God knows our hearts, and he knows what, what the intentions are. But God bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. We are just talking about that. The Holy Spirit came on them when he was preaching to them, Cornelius and his family. And they were Gentiles, and they weren't circumcised. 
The Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles just as he came on us, the Jews. Verse 9, he makes no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He, he cleanses our hearts by faith, Peter says, but he cleanses the Gentiles' hearts the same way. They weren't saved because of circumcision, because they're not circumcised. They were saved because God cleanses the heart through faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? There's another one. I missed that one. That's another one of the comparisons there. He's comparing the Gentiles to the Jews. Okay? He says, we, why, why, why are we trying to put this on them when we haven't even been successful in keeping the law? None of us have been able to keep the law 100%. So why are we throwing this yoke why are we throwing this, trying to throw this responsibility on the Gentiles? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also were. Are, are, excuse me. Since God's work at Calvary, uh, up until then the Jews had their, their own laws and responsibilities and obligations to fulfill. In, in their life of uh, trying to be obedient to God and to, be, and to please God. But at the cross, it became the same for everybody. It was through the work of Jesus Christ and what he did, and, and just like the sermon title, Saved by Grace Alone, Through Faith Alone, in Christ Alone, at Calvary, we all have the same path to salvation. And it is only because of what he did. There's nothing that we can do. We certainly don't deserve it, but there is nothing that we can do to earn it. Nothing. It is by faith alone, in, in, in Christ alone, and what, what he did for us. Verse 12, Paul and Barnabas, the multitude kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating that signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And, and, and Luke doesn't spend a lot of time reiterating it because he just did in chapters 13 and 14. He did the whole, the whole missions trip for us. So he, he doesn't relay it again, but he tells us that this is what Barnabas and Paul were sharing. And isn't that interesting? Here Barnabas is listed before Paul. Back when they left on the missions trip, uh, it was Paul's to lead. And, and so why here do we go back to putting Barnabas first? Well, because we're back in Jerusalem, and, and the Jews there know Barnabas better and more than they know Paul. So it's, it's for familiarity, and, and to, uh, you, you, in that culture, you lead with the, the, the person of, of higher respect. And to the Jews in Jerusalem, that was Barnabas in this case over Paul. We move on to James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, probably the leader. Um, and if you, if you recall and remember that James and, and his siblings, the siblings, half-siblings of Jesus, they, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was until the resurrection. Oh, you know, they, they knew that, that he never did anything wrong, and they were getting in trouble for their discretion, you know, indiscretions for their transgressions, there we go. 
and, and their brother never did anything wrong, so he never got the time out or the paddle or the discipline or whatever. They knew he was different, but they didn't believe that he was the son of God until the resurrection. And, and, and once Christ was resurrected, I love going back to that verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 30, but God, but God raised him from the dead. Then they believed. Then they understood that he was indeed the Son of God. And, and James took that and, and ran with it and went full. The one thing you appreciate about James, he, he, Peter's the strong-tempered one, the, the overpowering one, but James was very firm in his faith, and once he believed, he, nothing held him back. He, he didn't burn the town down or anything crazy like that, but, but he, he was ready to put himself out there ready to stand uh, and be bold with his faith in the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, uh, um, again, verse 13, after they had stopped speaking, referring to Paul and Barnabas from verse 12, he, he waited his turn, he, he listened, he let them speak their peace. And, and obviously, before, even before this, in, in the verses before, that there had been much, much discussion, uh, much debate and back and forth, and, and now James stands up as the leader of the church in Jerusalem and most likely hosting the council. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon Peter has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed just as it is written. And then verses 16 through 18 are, are directly from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. After these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. A, a short quote from Scott. Um, John Scott in his book on Acts, the inclusion of the Gentiles was not a divine afterthought, but foretold by the prophets. Scripture itself confirmed the facts of the missionaries' experience. There was agreement between what God had done through his apostles and what he had said through his prophets. Remember last week, again, we had started out in Isaiah 60 and 42 and Zechariah 8. And in, in talking about the, how the prophets prophesied that the gospel would go to the nations, that would, would go to the Gentiles, it wasn't going to be held in the house of the Jews forever. And why, why did Christ, why did God know that it was going to go to the Gentiles? Because he knew that the Jews were going to reject him and not accept him as the Messiah. And so he sets Israel as a nation aside for a while and opens the gospel to the, to the Gentiles as well. Nationally set aside because they rejected the Messiah. And he, during this period and the time that we're living in is he's setting Jews and Gentiles apart to his church. Someday he will come back and, and restore Israel and, and they, they will take 
and receive the, as their obedience, they will receive the blessings that they were intended to have all along. But they're not enjoying that today because they rejected Christ as Messiah. So we have Peter, Paul and Barnabas testifying, and now James. Next week we'll, we're going to try to make it through verses 19 through verse 35. And, and we're going to see the result of, of this council and where it goes. And, and James is going to continue in verse 19 speaking and going forth and laying out what they've, uh, what they've decided. And, and we're going to find out that the church is not always a democracy. I'll leave it there. You'll have to come back next week to find out what I mean by that. I struggle in sharing this information about this individual that is 